Amen. Good morning, Harvest. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Well, it's great today to be in the house of the Lord. Um, whether you're joining us here in person, whether you're joining us online, you are family. And it's just, uh, it's just a privilege to be in God's house together today. My name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, we'd love to meet you after the service and hang out and have lunch with you. We're going to have a, a potluck or a picnic or whatever you want to call it. There's going to be food here, right? And there's enough for everybody, whether you realized it or not, whether you brought something or not. We just want you to stay. We want you to eat. We want to get to know you, and we want to hang out together with you today. And so we're going to continue today in 1 Samuel 16, if you want to get a head start there in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some available for you in the back, or if you want to turn on your phone, you can download an app or just Google 1 Samuel 16. We use the ESV version here at Harvest. You're welcome to use whatever your version, uh, preferred version is, and we're so thankful for the faithfulness of our God, and we're so thankful for the faithfulness of His people, and thank you for just your faithfulness and serving and loving and giving and, and giving us worship here at Harvest, and we want to continue to do that. And so if you want to give back to the Lord a portion of what he has given to you, you can do that in the back through an offering at the box or online. And so we're so thankful for what God is doing. Jesus is building his church, amen? Amen. amen. He's building it, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And we're going to see God's faithfulness. We serve a faithful God. We're going to see today that even when his people are not faithful, God is continually faithful because God fulfills his promises the promise that he first gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where he said, I will make you into a great nation. The promise that Jesus then says to us as his church, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. God is continuing to work. He always makes a way for us, and we're going to see that today. He always builds his people and we, live, we love to live out that mission because the reality is, you know who God chooses to build his church? He's the architect, he's the builder, he's the source, he's the supplier, but he chooses to use you and me. Isn't that humbling? He chooses to work in us and then he chooses to work through us. He's given the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us spiritual giftedness. He's given us the Holy Spirit with the purpose of building his church. That's why our vision here at Harvest is one mission, one church, one family. Our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We're going to hang out together as a family after the service, but we want to continue to live on mission for God. We're, we are committed here at Harvest to offering our hearts and lives wholeheartedly to God as an act of worship to advance the kingdom of God wherever he leads, doing that individually and then doing that collectively, because you know what a church is, right? It's a collective gathering of individuals called out, set apart to live on mission for God as an act of worship to God, to declare the testimony about God so that other people might come to know God as their one true Savior. The beautiful thing is we don't get to do that alone. We choose to do that, not just in these walls, and, and we partner together with churches that are other in the area here regionally, but also then through the Great Commission Collective, churches that are um, regionally and nationally. And I just want to encourage you that God is working and he's moving. Had the privilege last week to speak at one of our sister churches. Uh, Oak Hill was celebrating their 14-year anniversary up in Coryville, Pennsylvania, an hour and a half from here. As I, as I drove, up, drove up early, I, I texted Pastor Andrew, who drove up, because he, he grew up in that northern state of Veronica, in that northern Maryland area. And I'm like, you know, and where we live, we have a beltway issue. There, up there, they have a buggy issue, right? <laughs> A lot of Mennonites, as you get across, uh, as you cross the PA border, and they were going to church, so weaving in and out of horse and buggies on their way to church, which was cool. Um, but Nate and Marie Newell, who are friends of this church and Gospel Partners, planted this Oak Hill Church out of Mission Church 14 years ago. Our other friends, Ben and Katie Miller, are picking up that torch when Nate and Marie went to KL, and now Nate and Marie are back. 
But God's moving, God's working, and they send their love, they send their greetings, and I just want you to know that they're praying for you. I got a message even this week from their church that said, we just feel so committed to pray together with you guys. What are, their, what are your top five prayer requests? Because our church is covenanting to pray for Harvest Annapolis this coming months, and our, all our leadership are. So you are loved, friends. We're not alone. Yesterday, Ann and I and our family had the opportunity to go to Northern Virginia, where one of our dear sister churches, Fairfax Bible Church, is. And we got to hang out with our dear friends of ours, the former pastor there, Jeff Hohenshaw, who many of you know and love, and, and their new pastor, Matt Nicosia. And that's just a sign of God's faithfulness. God answers prayers. Many of you have joined us in prayer over the last year uh, for God to provide the right man for Far- Fairfax Bible Church, and he has. He's seen them through this transition. God continues to build his church, one leader to another. And Pastor Matt is so excited. He wants to come uh, just say thank you. Their church is so thankful for our partnership with them and how you have loved them through this transition. And we're hoping to set up a time that he can come in the near, not too distant future to meet you. And it doesn't just say nationally as we think about one mission, one church, one family. We have international partners. And I want to share with you, and you've heard a little bit about this, but I want to share a little bit with you more in depth right now. But the opportunity we have to partner with our global partners in the Dominican Republic, Pastor Groomer, and a whole network of churches that are aligned together to advance the kingdom of God. God has opened up the door to take a mission trip, and we're sending for a team of four men down in July, July 12th through 18th. We're going to work at a school where the school not only provides a Christian education, but it provides medical, uh, medical care, it provides food, it provides the opportunity for people to heal the gospel. And what an opportunity we have to do some needed projects there to support them and come along alongside them in a very uh, impoverished area of Santiago DR. We also have the opportunity to lead a, a one-day seminar on church planting um, with a whole network of churches that is committed to advancing the gospel, not just in Santiago, but throughout that whole region. We've been asked to preach twice on Sunday, including a quarterly evangelistic service. We're going to, and so just pray for us. Pray that there are gospel opportunities abound. Amen. What a privilege we have to think outside of our walls, and we're going to partner with them again also to help plant a new church in that area. We're going to pray about that and process that while we're down there. But I really want to ask you for this. This isn't just for the, about the four people that are going. This is our, God's called our whole church to this. And so I want to encourage you in prayer. I want to ask for your prayers. We covet your prayers, and um, that God would just work in a mighty way. I also want to ask you that you would join us in a financial partnership. Uh, we God is uh, working and moving. We're going to use some of our missions funds to go down there. But also in my heart, God really laid it on my heart to really bless the churches and the work that is being down there. It's, it, they, need it, they need it. The gospel opportunity is before us. And so my, my challenge to us as a church is, can we provide $2,000 to really bless those, the works of the churches there and the Christian school there above and beyond the cost of the trip? So that will put the total to be raised at $9,000. You'll see in, your butt, in, the, in, in the bulletin, if you have it, that God has provided already over 5,300. So we're more than halfway there. But I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you, if you would pray, if God would call you to partner with this, to advance the gospel beyond our borders. This is the mission God has given us to advance this church. God uses his people. Generous hearts lead to multiplied opportunities that you would pray about making a gift above and beyond your normal tithe, not to replace your normal tithe, uh, but to go in support of this trip and over the next month to help us to get to that $9,000 total mark, which would include $2,000 above and beyond the cost of the actual trip. So I believe that God can do it, and I believe that God will do it. I'm just asking if you will partner with us in that. And so over the next month, you can go online if you choose to do so. There's a fund on our website, theharvestanapolis.org give, and there's a drop-down fund. You can select DR Mission Fund. You can drop a check in the box, just write DR Mission Trip. You can you put a cash in an envelope in the back of the box that says DR Mission Trip on there, and God is going to use it in a mighty way. You might ask, why do, we, why do we partner and support with this specific church? I've known Pastor Goomer, our main contact there, for over 13 years. 
and I've seen God work. I've been to this place eight or nine years, work with this network of churches in, in depth, and I see God's hand on Pastor Goomer's life. Pastor Goomer does not have an easy life. Pastor Goomer has a very, very hard life. But Pastor Goomer has an impactful life because he continually submits and he surrenders his life before the Lord. And a surrendered heart is the one that God uses powerfully. We're going to see that in the text today in 1 Samuel 16 with the life of David. And I see that lived out in the life of Pastor Groomer. And I, we have a privilege to partner together with them to see God do an amazing work. There's a lot of misnomers in today's religious and church culture about God's favor and God's blessing health and wealth, prosperity gospel. We are not about prosperity gospel at Harvest. We are about the purity of the gospel, that we need Jesus, that following the Lord is hard. It's going to cost you everything because it costs Jesus everything. Count the cost and pray, and I pray that you will see the reality that Jesus is worth it. He calls us to die. And yes, he blesses us in ways that we will see in eternity. He might not bless us here on earth. Your bank account might not increase. Your stress at work might not decrease, but your joy will increase. Your hope will increase. Your love will increase. Because that's what matters the most. The blessings from God flow as we humble ourselves before God. This is what the prophet God says to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 66 too. But this is the one to whom I will look. And we're going to see this as God looks to David today. He who is humble, he who is contrite in spirit, that means broken by your sin, that you, you hate your sin, that you're distraught about your sin, you want to change it and trembles at my word. That means I live a life of reverence that leads to obedience. As I submit and I surrender my heart and my life under the authority of God and under the authority of God's word to do whatever God's word says, because it becomes my absolute authority. I'm going to do it God's way and not my way. And I pray that the cry of the heart of every single person in this room, including myself, and can I tell you with authenticity that this cry for me personally fluctuates some days I'm all about it. Some days I'm like in me land, right? As Pastor Andrew preached last week, King me, right? I pray that this will be the pursuit of each one of our hearts. That when God is looking and he says, to whom will I look? That we say, here I am, send me. Here I am, send, not because I'm perfect, but because I'm pursuing a heart of humility that I'm broken about the reality of my sin that I do every day, and I'm quick to repent, quicker and quicker, and I'm quicker to obey. I'm quicker to run from sin and do whatever it takes, and faster to run towards God because I want to be more like Jesus above all else. That's the man. That's the woman that God uses. I want to challenge you and call you today out of mediocrity, out of contentment, to pursue the thriving life that Jesus calls you to. And that comes when you surrender everything to him. He wants to use you. The question is, will you allow him to use you? Today, we're going to see the anatomy and the makeup of the person that God uses powerfully, the one to whom God looks. We're going to see it in the life of David. My question is, do we see it in your life and in my life? And if not, why not? And what can we do to change that today? And that starts with a desire to change. Here's a big idea. You'll see it on your notes and on the screen. A fully surrendered heart to God is used powerfully by God. You might not be used powerfully in the way that you want, but you're going to be used powerfully in the way that God wants. And that's part of surrender. God, use me however you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, for whatever reason you want. Only glorify yourself in me and through me. A fully surrendered heart 
to God is used powerfully by God. I pray that that is the pursuit of our life. As we pursue surrender, man, God will give you significance in his work. And as we, as we find significance in his son. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for the awesome opportunity we have to be gathered in your house as your church. I thank you for this local gathering of churches. I thank you for churches all over the world that are gathered right now to preach and proclaim your name, to worship you, to lift you high, to learn, to repent, to confess, to exalt. And I just pray that in this moment you would silence me and that your words would flow. God, you're looking. We know that your scripture says that you're looking for true worshipers. You're looking for those that you can send. You're looking for those who will be obedient. I pray that when you look, you will find those people in this room and those who are watching with us online. God, I pray that we would surrender the things of this earth to you because we would find greater value in you. And God, we love you. Holy Spirit, silence me. Exhort, encourage, convict, compel. Make us more like you through the power of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Boy, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel is a book in the Old Testament. Um, it's the ninth book of the Bible. And so we're, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, um, through the book of 1 Samuel. And um, I'm so thankful uh, to see, to, for Pastor Andrew and his faithfulness to God's word last week. He carried us, through, he taught us through chapters 13 through 15. And what we saw last week, in, in, as we set up what we're about to read right now, is we saw the downfall of Saul, right? The beginning of the downfall of Saul. Saul had a quick rise and a quick fall. Well, what happened? It's summarized. In, in chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, if you want to flip there, I'm going to read it for you right here. First Samuel 13, 13 through 14, Saul had a great start, but then he took a hard turn into the ditch when he got ahead of God and disobeyed the words of God through Samuel, the prophet of God. And this is what the text says from God through Samuel to Saul. It says, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord, or your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. God's kingdom will. Saul's won't. The Lord has sought out after a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not commanded. You have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Did you hear that? God wanted to use you. He had a plan for you. But you messed it up because you decided to do you. He drifted away from what God called him to do, and he did not do what God commanded him to. And the Lord's looking for people after his own heart. Not just in Saul, not just in David, but in you and in me. Right here, right now, because God wants to, he might, he wants to use you. He might make you a king. Uh, he might not. But he wants to use you in a profound and powerful way. But the question is, is your heart before the Lord surrendered to the word of God and living that out in a heart of God out of obedience and reverence to God? Saul's downfall was disobedience. The Lord was looking for him to be a man after his own heart, and he didn't find it. When God looks at your heart, what does he find today? Because it's so easy to look at this text and go, Saul did this, Saul didn't do that. Oh man, how silly is Saul? Man, how silly are we? to put it lightly, how quickly we stray from the commands of our God. Why? Because we're pursuing the things of man. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. Samuel said to Saul, and by the way, it's not you. Ouch. Reality check. What would God say to you today? Because he's looking. He's looking at your heart right now. 
You might hide stuff from me, your spouse, your family, your small group leader. You can't hide it from God. Sin has consequences. And while our consequences sometimes, not always, but sometimes, like we see this all, cause us to miss out on the amazing work that God has for us, God's work continues. Do you see that in the text that I just read? That Saul's part is going to end, but God's work is going to continue because God fulfills his promises. He's going to make the nation of Israel great, which is what he promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He's going to build his church, like Jesus says in Matthew 16. The question is, are you going to let him use you or not? Are you going to be a part of it or not? And that's on you. It's a privilege to be used by God to build his church. It's a humbling privilege. Which leads us to chapter 16, where we see today that humility is the key to serving God faithfully and living for God impactfully, as we're introduced to David. David, the shepherd boy who will become king, who directly points us to our ultimate king, Jesus Christ, who displays the ultimate humility, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, who pays the price for our sin and purchases our salvation. When he didn't have to, he left a place he didn't have to leave. He died a death he didn't deserve to die for you and for me. He provided for us victory on Calvary. So I think it's really helpful as we go into this text to understand what is the biblical working definition of humility, and you'll see it on the screen. Here's a biblical working definition of humility. Humility is a heart posture of worship that always exalts Jesus Christ above me, considers others before me, and is demonstrated through a life of enduring reverence and faithful obedience daily. To put it very, very succinctly, as John the Baptist did in John chapter 3, verse 30, Jesus must increase and I must what? Decrease. That's humility. In every area of my life, it's a constant pursuit. God must increase. I must exalt him over all and I must decrease. I'm not thinking less about myself. I'm not thinking of myself. I'm not thinking less about myself, as has been said. I'm thinking less of myself less often. That's God's heart. God is seeking a man after his own heart. He's seeking a woman after his own heart. And well, as we're going to spend the rest of our time today, what is that? What does that look like? To be a person after God's own heart. Am I that right now? What is stopping me from becoming that? or pursue? Why am I not pursuing that? How do I go about that? Michelle, thanks for asking these questions. They're super helpful for all of us. We're all thinking them. And now we're going to answer them from this text. Three characteristics of a person after God's own heart. The first is this. A person after God's own heart prioritizes what matters to God. A person after God's own heart prioritizes what matters to God. Read with me if you would the first 13 verses of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from becoming king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint him for me. You shall anoint, anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now when they came, he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but the Lord, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what? Heart. The heart of the matter. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is just keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for he, we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for he, this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David From that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A person after God's own heart, three characteristics, prioritizes what matters to God. We're going to see that in the life of Samuel. We're going to see that in the life of David in this text. We find Samuel grieving the demise of Saul. Samuel had invested a lot in Saul, to say the least. Think about somebody you've discipled, maybe, that's let you down. You've poured your life into them and they've just turned, or maybe it's a child, maybe it's a, a class, maybe it's a student. You've invested in them, you've poured into them, you've discipled them, and they've chose to wander. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? And you beat yourself up a little bit. What could I have done differently? What should I have, how could I have stopped this? I, 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 as if we could have controlled anything. Now we can always improve, right? But you can't make other people's choices for them. This word grief is to mourn for the dead. Samuel was crushed to the point that he was not moving over what had happened to Saul. And maybe you're here grieving that way too. Grief is real. Grief is biblical. But what's also biblical is that there's a time to grieve and a time to act. Look at what God says to Samuel. He shows up and says, fill your horn with oil, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Basically, translation, get up. The job is not done. I am still working. Man falls short, but I will fulfill my promises. Get up and keep moving. Where in your life is God calling you to act? Look, there's a time to grief, and in the middle of lament, sometimes God calls us to act. But for so long, maybe we've been stagnated or frozen because of our grief or self or beating ourselves up over perceived failure. And God today is saying, prioritize what matters to me, which is there's still work to be done. Get back on the horse. God is giving Samuel a little tough love here. There's another person whose heart is open that I'm going to lead you to, that I need you to invest in, that I need you to pour yourself out in. And look, we live in a transient area here, right? Goodbyes are hard. It's hard to reopen our hearts. So this is a challenge for all of us, right? The work of disciple making is never done. God continually calls us to disciple, even as we're grieving the loss or the failure or the whatever. He's continually calling us to get back on mission. Different seasons, yes. Different situations, yes. Different roles in different seasons, yes. But we need to prioritize what matters to God. And what matters to God is the heart of us and the heart of other people and the mission of God. And you're like, I, I, I can't. I've been burned in the past. So is Samuel. Samuel gets to you. 
But you know what here, it's amazing, is we see the faithfulness and the providence of our God. For I have provided, verse 1, for myself a king among sons. God always provides. He's always providing the necessary resources to accomplish his mission. He always provides the right people. We might just not be looking in the right places, but they're there. Samuel wasn't ready to look in Bethlehem. He's not going to be ready to look for the eighth runtish son of, De- of Jesse. But God knows, because God's looking through a different lens that Samuel even is. And where do we need to expand our horizons as we disciple, as we in our neighborhoods, as we're in church, as we're at the gym, as we're in the military, of, of who is God calling? Who are the next leaders? Friends, we can't allow our, our being burned in the past or, to, or self-loathing, beating ourselves up to stop us from prioritizing what matters to most to God and continuing to live on mission for God. The mission is messy, but we are full of God's mercy. It's, God's going to literally demonstrate that through a sacrifice, which is God, a symbol of God's mercy and God's forgiveness and worship. The mission of God continues, verse 2, and Samuel goes, how can I go? He's like, it's not enough that I'm just beating myself up about the past, but if Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. So here are Samuel's two excuses for not prioritizing God's work, and maybe you can relate. I'm a failure. How could I possibly re-disciple another guy? He's probably just going to fail too. And God's like, no, no, no. You're thinking you're making it all about yourself. Remember, this is all about me. And to fear. If I go and Saul hears, he's going to kill me. He's afraid. How many of us are not living out what God is prioritizing, the mission of God out of fear or because of past failure? Samuel gets you. But we can't let those things stop us. We have to step out in faith. And if you'll notice through this text, what God doesn't do is give Samuel the full picture. He doesn't say, go find David. He's going to be in a field. You're going to have to say no to the first seven brothers. Eventually you'll get David. No, he just calls him to go to Bethlehem and find Jesse. Often God just gives us the next step. And we have to trust God's faithfulness each and every time. Trust God's word. God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. A light doesn't give you the whole pathway through the forest. It doesn't illuminate it. It just gives us the next step, right? And to take the next step. Where is your next step of faithfulness and prioritizing what matters to God today? Where do you need to overcome feelings of failure in the past or fear about the future? How do we do that? By putting our faith in Jesus Christ. It's amazing the whole reality, everything about David points to Jesus. Take out a step of faith to go to Bethlehem where one day Jesus will be born. Go to Bethlehem, also known as the house of bread, which means God provides. God will always give you what you need when you need it. So three through Saul five, I love this. God gives Samuel a cover story. Some of you work for alphabet agencies of the government and your life is a cover story, right? What do you do for work? I'm a clerk. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. <sighs> Look, I love you, you're not lying, but you're not telling the full truth. Hey, it's biblical, right? The reason that God is sending Samuel to Bethlehem is to anoint the next king, but Samuel's not leading with that. He doesn't even say that. Why are you here? To offer a sacrifice, which is true, but it's not the full truth. Biblical ethics class later next week, okay? So they go to Bethlehem. Who else is from Bethlehem? We already talked about this, Jesus. Samuel arrives in Bethlehem. He takes a heifer with him and he says, hey, consecrate yourself. So people greet him. Like, do you come peaceably? And they're like, you know why they're asking that question? Well, if you're here last week, the last thing we heard about Samuel was that he was literally chopping a foreign king up into pieces. So I would be asking that question too. (laughs) Hey, what you doing here? (laughs) 
And he's like, no, go consecrate yourselves, wash yourselves, prepare to worship, prepare to prioritize worship. Mission is worship. Work is worship. Everything is worship. So in verse six, we see this, what happens is, again, Samuel's on his clandestine mission to anoint the next king. And what he, meet, he begins to meet Saul's kids. The first one he meets is Eliab, Eliab, the oldest, the tallest, the brightest, the strongest. And Samuel's first response is, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I love Samuel. He's a prophet for God. But do you see his flesh coming through? What is he looking at? The oldest, strongest. What was Saul? Tall, dark, handsome. He's looking at the outward. And so we are all tempted to do that in our own flesh as well, aren't we? We're naturally gravitated towards a charismatic leader who might, life might be filled with moral failures. But they can rally a room. They can move people. God cares about character above all. Where are you looking? What are you pursuing? Are you working on your character more or your charisma more? Are you working on your spiritual muscles or your physical muscles more? I'm not saying don't go to the gym. I'm saying don't go to the gym over being with Jesus. God's looking at the heart. And God checks Samuel. Verse 7 is the theme for our entire series, this verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on the appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. The heart matters. God's after your heart. He's not looking primarily at your physical stature, your cultural status, your rank in the military, your followers on social media. He's looking at the authenticity and the integrity of your character and your heart. And when he looks at your heart, what does he see, friends? And what happens next is after he rejects Eliab, he's like uh, an Israelite version of the bachelor where every single brother is paraded before him. And he's like, nope, not it. Not that one. And he finally gets to the end. He's like, Jesse's at it. And Jesse's like, well, yeah, basically, well, there is that one guy. He's out in the field. He didn't even think enough about David to invite him to the sacrifice. He left his own son out. Samuel says, well, we're not going to sit down to dinner until you bring him here. He brings him. David is, is described in the text as ruddy, beautiful eyes and was handsome. Before you think this is a GQ cover, it's not. Ruddy means fair-skinned, red-headed. Most Israelites aren't, right? Think about Middle Eastern complexion. David was different. It's like, where'd this Irish guy come from? <laughs> he was short, beautiful eyes, handsome. You know what that means in the, in the original language? It's not like, oh man, GQ. It's like, it's like your grandma when a 10-year-old, aren't you so cute? Like, that's what it was. And not like some powerful warrior, but like some cute 10-year-old. David's about 12 to 15. Cooper, this could be you. Seriously. Could be Landon. Henry. Jonah. That's the age of David. He calls David in. David was more than ordinary. He, he would, if you looked up the dictionary for ordinary, it would be David. He was even insignificant in the eyes of his own family, but he was not insignificant in the eyes of God. And maybe you feel that way with your family, your workplace. God saw him anyway. He chose him anyway because David was faithful in every circumstance. God looked even where his own earthly father wouldn't look. God loves to use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. 
where are you looking for spiritual leadership today? Where are you pursuing and what are you aspiring to become? Social media, Hollywood, athletics, they all put out a front of what success is, but God's paradigm is different. Where was David again? Where do we find David initially? He was in a pasture, right? What was he doing? He was being a shepherd. The best metaphor ever out there, because scripture uses it directly often for spiritual leadership, is a shepherd. All the way through the New Testament. The word pastor is derived from the Latin word pasture, talking about shepherd. When the New Testament describes an elder and a pastor, it's talking about a shepherd. First Peter 5 talks about the responsibility of, of, of a pastor, elder, and a church. It is called to be a shepherd an under-shepherd. John 10 talks about Jesus as the good shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He leads, he feeds, he protects, and he guides his flock. He lays his life down for a flock. Friends, biblical leadership, spiritual leadership is servant leadership. God is looking for faithful shepherds, not drill sergeants. Which one are you trying to become more like? Jesus himself describes this leadership, the priority of it in Mark 10, 45, when he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, prioritizing what God prioritizes to being the person that the one God is looking to means being a servant and seeking to serve, not looking to be served, which are you. Many of us want to rise rise the corporate ladder, the military ladder, the church ladder, whatever ladder you want, because I, I no longer have to take out the trash. That's not the view of biblical leadership. I get to tell other people what to do. I get an assistant, finally. We're glorifying having people serve us, because that's our fleshly nature. Jesus strapped the towel around, got on his knees, and washed the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, no, no. He's just like, I have to. And Peter's like, okay. Are you aspiring to serve or be served in in this church? I'm so thankful for it. We've had business leaders and owners changing diapers. We've had military colonels taking out the trash and sweeping. We've We've had just, you name the occupation, show up in the middle of the night to do whatever is needed. Thank you for that. May we continue to grow in that. This fall, our church is going, when you talk about spiritual leadership, prioritizing what matters to God, our church is going to go, be going through the process of appointing new elders, new shepherds. Be praying for that. Be looking around and seeing who you observe, what men you see observing these characteristics. Because when you think about what is an elder, it, it's character, it's conviction, it's competency, it's chemistry, it's capacity, all those for the New Testament, all those a different sermon for a different day. But character matters the most. Paul talks to Timothy and he says, this saying is trustworthy. If anybody aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. When it comes to being the person God looks, we should all be aspiring to bear kingdom responsibility and to serve God wholeheartedly wherever that leads, whether it leads man or woman, whether it leads to serving as a small group leader, whether it means to faithfully serving on a ministry team, or for men, whether it leads to being an elder or a pastor, whatever it is, are you aspiring to grow in spiritual maturity with an open heart, surrendered mind that says, God, use me wherever you would? Or are you like, I could never do that role because of my past failure? Samuel, try that excuse. 
I could never do that role because I'm afraid of what might happen. God nixed that with Samuel. So maybe those are the excuses that you're using to not step up and step out into the opportunities to not aspire to. Just because you aspire to it doesn't mean that it's God's going to ask you to do it, but it does mean that you're aspiring after spiritual maturity. My challenge for every single man in this room is to aspire to be an elder. It doesn't mean you're all going to be an elder. It just means that becoming more like God and spiritual maturity is your top priority. And God have all of me wherever it leads. And women, same thing with you, that you would aspire to be used by God in whatever way to the maximum capacity that God would. And it all starts with aspiring to spiritual maturity, prioritizing what matters most to God. Are you willing to do that? Is your life fully surrendered to God in that way? Growing in biblical character and growing in godly wisdom means growing in godly wisdom and biblical application. It's a lifelong journey of spiritual maturity. God is looking for people that are willing to step up. He's looking for the Davids. How many of us would be like, you want to be king? Some of us would be like, yeah. Some of us would be like, no. And God's like, come on, David, let's go. I'm with you. So what is said about David eventually? Paul says this about David, the, and when he's preaching in Acts 13, he says this about David in Acts 13, 22. And when he had removed him, God removed Saul. He raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You see that dichotomy? Again, the person after God's own heart is the one who prioritizes what matters most to God, his word, and actually out of reverence lives a life of obedience. That's the difference between David and Saul. And David was willing to serve, and Saul, well, he wasn't willing initially, then he was, and then he drifted. A fully surrendered heart to God is used powerfully by God. We all have a next step to take in aspiring to spiritual maturity and being willing to bear kingdom responsibility. Maybe it's a baby step for you. Maybe it's a big step. Maybe your step is just beginning to serve on a ministry team. Maybe it's being willing to share the gospel with your neighbor. Maybe, maybe God opens your heart to serve in a bigger role. Whatever it is, my question is, in obedience, will you pursue it and will you prioritize it? Meaning you say no to other things to say yes to God's thing. Because a fully surrendered heart to God, is used powerfully by God. David had every reason to say, God couldn't use me. And God said, yes, I can. God wants to take your availability and give you his ability to do things far greater than you could ever hope or imagine for his glory. The second characteristic of a person after God's own heart is that they rely, they rely, a person after God's own heart relies on the power of God. Look with me at the rest of this text. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let the Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. That's a small harp. And when the harmful spirit from the God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. And so Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of God's good presence, and the Lord is with him. Not bad for a teenager. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul said to, sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. And Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. 
Second character for the person after God's own heart is that they rely on this power of God. And we see this incredible dichotomy in verses 13 and verses 14. When Samuel took the horn of oil again in 13 and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. David had the presence of God, which gave him the power of God. The power of God lies in the presence of God. And subsequently in verse, and he was with him all the rest of his days. In verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit tormented him. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So here we have the spirit of the Lord with David and the spirit of the Lord departing Saul. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went. It's not about regeneration. It's not about eternal security, but it is about being able to be empowered by God to do the work of God through the presence of God. We can't do the work of God outside of the power of God. Ma'am, do we try? Saul's going to continue to try. He's going to continue to try to reign the rest of his time in his own strength. And it's, not, it's just going to continue to go downhill. As New Testament believers, under the new covenant through Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of this, is when we put our faith in the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us forever. We have the presence of God in us forever, but we have to learn to rely on the power of God. The life of a person after God's own heart is marked by the presence of God, not the absence of God. What is your life marked by? A significant key into success in this life and accomplishing all God has for you is surrendering my heart to the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. We are continued to be strengthened through daily surrender, to be filled again and afresh. In the presence of a God, I look at verse, look at 18. This is an amazing resume, right? Someone on the outside, one of the young men in Saul, who is close to Saul said, I've seen a God. He's skillful in playing a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence. Here's the key. Here's the power for it all. And the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. And friends, that is the key. Are we relying on the presence of the Lord? Are we relying on the power of God? Are we resting in the promises of God? Life has a bunch of different seasons. But man, when we rely on the power of God and the presence of God, it's a powerful testimony to those around us, right? They see something different about us. And the power of God was with Moses and allowed him to confront his fears and go before Pharaoh. The power of God was with Joshua in a big leadership transition, the presence of God. When Joshua had to step into the shoes of Moses and lead his people into the promised land, facing giants and big walls and, and bodies of water that couldn't be moved on their own, the power of God is with Samuel. The power of God is now with David. And the power of God is with you too, if you choose to rely on it. Are you? If God is for you, Romans 8 says, right, who can be against you? So are you surrendering to the power and the presence of God and saying, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes and giving you confidence? We're going to talk a lot more about that next week when we talk about David and Goliath. Stepping out to face the giants, to, uh, to embrace kingdom responsibility. And then when we do that, people notice that there's something different about us, right? That the Lord is with us. When we go, why are you calm in the middle of this storm? Work is blowing up, yet you're still joyful. Why? Well, yeah, work stinks, but I got Jesus. It's going to be okay. You have this debilitating illness, and your spouse does. How can you still be loving? Why aren't you bitter? Because Jesus. They notice something different about you, and it becomes a powerful testimony. Why are you flying to Europe in a couple weeks? To love three more kids. Because Jesus, keep Shannon and Jay in your purse. 
God's opening incredible doors. Because Jesus, are you relying on the power? Where's the money going to come from? I don't know. God's going to provide it. Where's the power going to come? God's going to provide it. Well, I don't, I, I don't know the what. I know the who, and that's enough. And that's where I rest. And that's where I, there's something different. And this book is the best leadership book out there, the Bible, right? But there's also good secular, I've learned a lot from secular leadership books along the way. Um, and so I, I like to read them. I enjoy them. I'm challenged by them. Pastor Andrew was reading one of them this week, which sort of stimulated this in me. And, and back in my business school days, um, when I was an undergrad, um, I read a book by Jim Collins. You'll see the pic, two Jim Collins books pictured behind me called Good to Great. I like Jim Collins stuff, Patrick Lencioni, a bunch of other authors. Maybe you've heard of Good to Great. In a subsequent book, he wrote many others, but how the, how the money have fallen. But good to great is how does an organization, how do you take your company, what separates good organizations from great ones? How do you take the next step? Sort of like how do you become from just a eh, complacent Christian to a conviction Christian go? It's, it's, not a, it's not a Christian book, but it's when you think about just maximizing the impact of your life and your company. And then he wrote a subsequent book called How the Mighty Fall. How do companies who had success at one point and now don't, what happened? He lays out five stages of decline in their life. The number one I just found amazing because it lines up exactly. Again, the number one leadership book is the Bible with what we see in the life of Saul. And it's called this. The first stage of decline is from hubris, hubris from success. That you begin to get so like, oh, I had success. And then become self-absorbed. You become arrogant, overconfident. You forget your true foundations. You drift. You take things for granted. You emphasize non-core areas. And all of a sudden, you fall flat on your face. That's what happened to Saul, right? And what was his core? It was God. But he began to drift away from God. No, I won't wait for the sacrifice with Samuel. No, I don't really have to kill everybody. I'll leave King Agag and the best of things alive because I can use them for my good. I sort of know better than God. He began to get hubris from success. God is looking for humility, not hubris. He is looking for the person who submits his heart under the leadership of God. I know this book firsthand. My family lived it. My dad was a corporate executive before he became an executive pastor. He used to work for a place called Circus City. Anybody remember Circus City, right? Circus City around anymore? Nope. You know what happened? They got distracted. My dad wasn't directly involved, but they invented, they spent their best people, their most money on this thing called CarMax. You're like, what? What's an electronic company doing, doing a use sale car company? Good question. That's the problem. <laughs> now, CarMax is still around and Circus City isn't. God's kingdom's going to continue. Saul's not. Distraction leads to destruction. Where have you drifted and begun relying on your own? Oh, I can do this from God. Desire for self-worship. That was what Saul was all about, as opposed to savior worship. Saul cared more about his identity. He wanted to save face in front of people as opposed to falling on his face in repentance. Saul never truly repented. Will you today? It's not too late. Don't drift from the presence of God to the people of God. Saul got in trouble when he was apart from Samuel. You notice that trend? You get, a, you get in trouble too when you don't come to church, when you're out of God's word, when you don't go to small group. Don't you find yourself drifting? Be honest with yourself. We need God's word. We need God's people. Get back to church continually. Get back in small group consistently. Get in God's word faithfully. Open your heart dearly. What does it look like to rely on the power of God? Here's a couple things. 
One, surrendering to the plan of God. Both Samuel and David had to do that. Samuel was, again, he was grieving his past failure and he was worried and fearful about his present, but he trusted God and he stepped out in faith anyway. He surrendered his heart to God. You think David was probably a little nervous going from the pasture to the, the palace? Probably. Where do you need to surrender to God? Maybe you're like, I'm ready for this role. And God's like, no, you're not. Or maybe you're like, I'm not ready for this role. And God's like, yes, you are. Surrender to God. Secondly, trust the timing of God. You might think you're ready before you're ready. God's calling and God's timing aren't always the same thing. You know where David went right after he was anointed as king? Right back to the pasture. Talk about an awesome party. He went back to the sheep. He didn't go to the palace. It wasn't his time yet. Yes, God had anointed him, but Saul was still king. We're going to see David reverently loved God by serving Saul. Even though he already knew that he was next. How many of us could do that? At your workplace. I got a bad boss. Try working for Saul. Trust the timing of God. We're ready when God says we're ready. Not when we think we are or when we think we aren't. God chooses who he chooses and he uses them in the places that he uses them. He uses the, chooses the people that he wants to do the work that he wants, when he wants, how he wants for his glory. Third, third way of relying on the power of God, it means obeying the word of God. Samuel did that. He's like, go to Bethlehem. And he obeyed. In the face of his failure, he obeyed. In the face of his fear, he obeyed the word of God. Are you willing to obey the word of God when faced with fail, past failure and confronted with present fear? Maybe you're doing that right now. Where is God calling you to obey? Slow down and listen and then step out in obedience. Fourth, putting faith in God. We see that all throughout. Samuel and David both do that. New Testament teaches us that being filled with the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of God comes through faith in God. Which all of it results from the final one of what is relying on the power of God, wholeheartedly worshiping God. We see, we see David, look, humility is worship. Obedience is worship. We see also David playing a harp. Musical worship. He worshiped God in the presence of Saul. And that calmed Saul's heart. It kicked the evil spirits out. Worship is a weapon, guys. Wholeheartedly worship God in every situation. Work is worship. Worship is 24-7. Worship means going, being willing to go where God calls me, stay where God asks me. So today you might go, how do I know if I'm relying on the power of God? Well, Galatians gives us a good heart check on that, right? It's called the fruit of the Spirit, because if you're relying on the, the Spirit of God, here's the fruit in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you're lacking some of those things today, you're probably not relying on the power of God. You've probably drifted into the power, relying on the power of flesh. Time to correct. If you find yourself being bitter, correct. If you're going through and re-enter, refocusing on the Lord. I'm lacking joy. I'm lacking love. I'm anxious. I'm not peaceful. I'm not kind. It doesn't mean you're a bad person doing something wrong. It just means that you got to fight and bring that anxiety and cast it to the Lord. I'm not being very good. I'm not being very kind. I'm not being faithful. I'm not being gentle. I don't, I'm lacking self-control. Check your heart today. What marks you? What's driving you? What are you pursuing? Where have you drifted from the Lord? Because if you drift from the Lord, you will fail and you will fall. Saul's life is a, is a marker for that. 
God, Jesus says this in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that beareth much fruit. Isn't that awesome? God will use you powerfully when you surrender to attach yourself to the Lord. And abide means to remain in, remain under. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You want to be used powerfully by the Lord? Surrender your heart to the Lord. Because apart from God, you can do nothing. You can do stuff in the name of God and so far, fall far from God. Where are you today? What's your power source? A fully surrendered heart to God is used powerfully by God. Third and final characteristic of a person after God's own heart today is the one that continually serves faithfully as unto God. What I find amazing is, as we briefly mentioned a second ago, one of the amazing and revealing things about David is he's anointed king and he goes right back to the pasture, right back to shepherding. What's additionally powerful is what he does next. He's summoned from the, from the pasture to the palace. And he goes and he serves faithfully. He could have, I probably would have been arrogant. I'm not going to serve you, Saul, or in the presence of Saul. I don't have to do what you're going to tell me to do because I'm already king and you don't even know it yet. By the way, I want to let you know it, right? I got next. Your time is limited. Saul was probably prideful, bashful, annoying, overbearing, all about him. Anybody got a boss like that? Rhetorical, you don't need to raise your hand, especially you, Pastor Andrew. All right. <laughs> Joking. But Saul served this way. I mean, Samuel served, I mean, David served this way. Without arrogance, without pride, with humility, and with surrender. Why? Because as Colossians 3 said, Paul writes this, and David lives it out. Whatever you do heartily as the Lord and not for men. Work heartily for the Lord, as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving God, not your human boss. So while he or she is your boss, serve faithfully. Don't do anything unethical, but be faithful. Do your best. We see David in a variety of roles in this text. He was the youngest, smallest. He, was, he served faithfully, even though he wasn't, didn't have good standing in his home. He was left behind. He didn't even get the invite to the family dinner. He didn't even get invited to the church service when the special preacher was in town. Come on. <laughs> he was a shepherd. Shepherd was not a desirable task. It was generally for the, the outcast. He was faithful. He was a heart player, despite Saul's stuff. He was an armor bearer, which means he earned Saul's loyalty and love because he was faithful. There is consistency in his character. The job changes and your job and your role will change, but is there consistency in your character? Character travels. We say in the sports world, you know what travels? Defense. Biblically, character travels. You're a good defensive team. You can play anywhere, anytime, no matter how hostile the environment, no matter what the sport is, it will travel. So will your character. So will your character. Is your heart today willing to serve God wherever, however, whenever? And I, we, we have a church of people that are willing to do that. Thank you so much. But we want to all continue to grow in that. Faithfulness for God pursues excellence before God. We do not worship excellence but we pursue it. It's evident in this text. What do you mean? David would not have had the opportunity to serve in the court of Saul if he was a stinky harp player. Right? He needed to be excellent. We're not going to worship it, but he pursued excellence. And out of that, God used it. 
As unto the Lord means doing your best. It means when you're an usher or a greeter, man, I'm going to rock it. I'm going to smile. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to greet everybody. I'm going to learn their name. I'm going to own it. Yeah, we all have our bad days where we spill coffee on ourselves on the way to church this morning, right? But I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to give my all to the kids. Man, we got, thank you to our Harvest Kids workers. You guys like go above and beyond and think about creative crafts, think about all this stuff to teach and communicate the effective gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ to our young people. It's amazing. Pursue excellence. Don't worship it because we're going to fall short, but pursue it. Have a life of patience. David did. What you do for God is not as important as who you are in God and who you are becoming. We often use excuses like, I'm too young. David had that excuse. The task is too insignificant. David had that excuse. The task is too big. Well, David also had that excuse. It's beneath me. I'm unnoticed. Are you willing to do anything and everything for the Lord? I'm so thankful for a church of people that go, whatever you need, wherever you need it, I'm happy to do it. Some people would rather stay behind the scenes and God's calling you to take a a different role. Some people thrive and want the role out in front of everybody and God's calling you to be behind the scenes. Worship is unto the Lord. God never wastes anything. Here as we move forward, here are two quick principles of faithfulness. One, when I serve faithfully, my life speaks bold, loudly as a gospel testimony. David's life spoke loudly as a gospel testimony, did it not? Verse 18, the Lord is with him. People notice that. They notice you too. I've told many people about people in this church that have gotten up for years at 6 a.m. to drive a trailer to unload our stuff. I've told people many times about people that have an incredible military rank but serve faithfully to clean the church on a Saturday. It's amazing what God does. I want to show you one last picture, and you'll see it. The three good friends of ours, Mission Church, are sending church. This past Sunday, they commissioned Pastor Ed Bly, who some of you know, to be the senior pastor of a church that they are transitioning from a campus to a main church in Myerstown. Pastor Ed is a faithful man. He has served God faithfully in every single role. He's a man in his 50s. If you would have asked a year ago, let alone 10 years ago, if he would be in this role, he would have said, no way, Jose. For many years, he was a corporate executive working in Auntie Annie's pretzel company serving faithfully as a lay elder in whatever other capacity they need him to do at the church. God led him to transition from lay work to, to vocational ministry. He joined the staff as the executive pastor of Mission Church. He, he, he continued to grow and pursue excellence in biblical counseling, and he, he oversaw, at different times, he oversaw their counseling. He oversaw small groups. He oversaw the books. He just is, did a lot of premarital counseling. Amazing man. And God called this church, which is our mission, to plant churches, to transition their campus into a church. And they, their elders prayed and prayed and prayed and go, who's God calling? And at one elder meeting, Ed's sort of like, I think it might be me. I'm a little nervous about this. He opened his heart and his life and just said, God, use me. Where are you asking God to use you? Opening everything up, taking the boundaries off and saying, man, what if? Something stirring inside you. Not because you're yearning for the position, but you're worshiping the person of Jesus Christ and you're willing to do anything and everything for him. The second principle is this. The pastor is often the proving ground for the palace. As we close.
What I mean by that is David didn't just go right to the palace, did he? He went back to the pasture. You know what's in the pasture? Sheep. Sheep are not the most intelligent animals ever. Sheep stink. Sheep bite. Sheep don't listen. Sheep poop. There were lions and bears that were attacking these sheep that David had to fight off. He had all the glamour of giving, being given the position and the anointing of king, and he went back to the pasture because it was going to grow him. He wasn't ready yet. How many of us are yearning for the palace? All of us, most likely, in some capacity. But we're unwilling to serve faithfully in the pasture because we think it's beneath us. But God's like, it's the training ground that you need. It's messy, it's stinky, but be faithful. Keep showing up. Keep loving people that bite. Keep loving people that stink. Keep loving people that don't want to listen. That's what David is doing. Because by the way, God says, that's what I do for you. Because so often of your life, you don't listen. You're a mess. You bite me. You reject me. You want to run off a cliff without me. Be faithful in the pasture and God will prepare you and groom you and mobilize you for the palace, whatever that palace is. And maybe today your pastor is, you're a stay-at-home parent and you're just tired of picking up puke. Be faithful, friends. What you do matters. Those young people matter to God. You matter to God. Maybe you've been stuck in a job that you're just tired of. Be faithful while you're there. Love your coworkers with the love of Jesus Christ. God will work in you and through you in ways that you can't even imagine. He's preparing you for something you can't even imagine. David had no idea that Goliath was coming and that the palace was coming. He was just like, I'm just here to do what I do every day. And well, herd sheep. It's monotonous. Do it for the glory of God. Whatever it is, teaching preschoolers, taking out the trash, walking in your neighborhood, loving your neighbor. Be faithful in the pasture and God will prepare you for whatever he has, whatever your version of palace is. Open your heart to be used by God however he would. And God will use you. A heart surrendered by God is used powerfully by God. Whatever your pasture is today, do it for the glory of God and watch him use you in a mighty way for God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the beauty and the power and the reality of your mission. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you and to love you. And God, in these moments, we just pray that we would be the people to whom you look. Not out of selfish ambition, but out of a Savior's adoration. God, we want to lift you high. We want to think of you greater We want to see you for who you are and be willing to serve you wherever we are. God, in this moment, we ask that you would change us and use us. And God, forgive us for allowing the failure of our past, real or not, to prohibit us from stepping out in faith in our present. Forgive us for fear of what others might think around us or what we think they might do to us to stop us from doing what you have called us to do. Forgive us for not being faithful in the pasture. 
because we're too busy daydreaming about the palace. Forgive us for not being willing to embrace with humility, serving people that are hard to serve. When we feel like we're called to something greater, in everything, make us more like your son, Jesus, who came to serve and not to be served, who took on the role of a servant, who humbled himself, Scripture says, even unto death unto a cross. Help us to die to ourselves, God, to grow in you and to go for you wherever you would send us. Make yourself great. May you become greater, and may we decrease today. God, we need you, and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.